Welcome to the Roll Bama Roll podcast. I'm Wesley Gullett. As always, I'll be joined by Brad Canning. We have a lot to cover on the recruiting front, both nationally and with Alabama, as early signing day was Wednesday. But first, our guest is the creator of the popular YouTube channel, Unofficial Assistant Coaches. Visit uacoaches.com and follow him on Twitter at the UA Coaches. He's Coach P, a.k.a. John Doe. Coach, thanks for joining us. Hey, how you doing, man? Glad to be here. Hey, we're good. Look, we saw you mention this. Uh, Nick Saban finally got some recognition during award season. He won the Walter Camp Coach of the Year Award. Before Thursday's announcement, he basically got no consideration for any other Coach of the Year awards and hasn't for exactly. really – Yeah, he hasn't for a decade. I doubt mm-hmm. he cares, <laughs> but how does the greatest coach in college football history keep getting snubbed every single year? Like you said, I doubt he cares, and we actually don't care, but we know what's well-deserved. But I, to sit and I, I look at it like Michael Jordan in the 90s. Jordan, I feel, could have been MVP really every year. And it's the same situation with Saban. I, I guess a lot of our fans call it Bama fatigue. I go with that. But it's like they find any reason to just find uh, another situation. Like if, you were, if I read you out Nick Saban's resume, and not and then tell you which coach I was speaking of. You say, "Hey, that sounds like coach of the year every year." But when I tell you it's Nick Saban, you could be like, "Oh, okay, well, I guess he expected to win." But what about such and such over here? And that's not how it should be. Nick Saban should actually be coach of the year every year, especially with these guys taking away from his coaching style. Not the bottom, not just position coaches. I'm talking OCs and deep and uh, defensive coordinators every year. It's, it's insane. We just lost a whole secondary. Everybody, in the, all our starters in the secondary. We started with a uh, sophomore quarterback, and we still undefeated. I don't, I don't. You can't judge me by the ta- you can't handicap me by the talent I pull in as the head coach. Don't handicap my your your voting because of how good I recruit. Realistically, we're judging this on okay. If we, if we had someone coaching Ole Miss with the team they had this year, and that coach took that team undefeated in the SEC and getting ready to go to the playoffs undefeated, one of the top teams, that sounds like coach of the year. That might can beat our Nick Saban. But for a situation like Brian Kelly at Notre Dame, only beating an uh, overrated one, uh, uh, overrated Michigan team, the only game you played this year realistically on your schedule was a Michigan game beginning of the year. That's not a season to outshadow what Saban is doing yearly. But like you said, we're not concerned about individual awards, and that's with the coaching staff too. Let's get these rings, Saban, and we okay. Hey, Coach, uh, Brad Canning here. Thanks for coming on and follow up on your point. I think the coach of the year is no longer about what you do that year. It's about the expectations you beat, and Saban's expected to do what he does every year, unfortunately. Exactly, and I understand that, and I understand but I wanted to ask you, you know, we had early signing day on Wednesday, and uh, the Crimson Tide had a great pull, and I wanted to see who in this class do you think is most likely going to be featured on Mama, There Goes My Ankles next year? <laughs> oh, let's see. Uh, I like John Messi, but John, he, he's kind of like uh, Devontae Smith. He's not really hitting them with the, uh, uh, like, I, like I say, the Quavo or the one-two, you know, the dipsy <laughs> dude on the roof. <laughs> I'm going to probably go with, I guess because he got his mind where it's at, I guess I'm going to go with Trey Sanders. Uh, even though Trey Sanders doesn't strike me as the, the he, he's more of an all-around, all all-purpose running back. I don't really just go moves over power or just anything with him. He pretty much got it all. But I feel he'll get on that as far as next year with the class we bring in right now, especially the monster steel players. Trey Sanders, I guess. Let's go with Trey. 
All right. When you're watching film, is there anyone who you think is underappreciated or maybe underrecognized by fans based on their play? You know, at Alabama, everybody's pretty much a household name almost when they get there. So everybody's expected to pretty much do what they do on the field every play every year. So I, so I guess I go with uh, starting in the trenches. Uh, the the old line usually overlooked mostly. I, I guess we can go there. And we got one of the best left tackles in the nation, probably. If you out here, you know, I definitely feel the best, and uh, the draft probably show show the same. Uh, and Jonah Williams, so maybe I would say Jonah Williams is probably the most unknown hero on the team. So I, I guess we'll go with Jonah on that one. You know, anybody along that uh, offensive front, honestly, because, you know, most of our players are already household names before they even arrive here. So I go with Jonah Williams. So when we look at this season through uh, the first 13 games, knowing we still got a couple left, what play, being there was a lot of them, but what play stands out to you over the first 13 games of this season? What's your play of the year so far? Oh, that's a good one. Uh, I guess I would go with, let's go back to the very first game when Tua hit him with the Manziel Magic just to uh, set the bar for the season. <laughs> yeah. Because uh, he did so much during the season. It's fun. Okay, I like that question. I'm going to give you this. My favorite play would be the Josh Jacobs Wildcat. That's my favorite play call. And I would love to see more of that, not just on fourth one, but maybe first and ten second and something, I would love to see a lot more of that, uh, like we did with Ingram and, uh, mm-hmm. and Trent Richardson. But my favorite play, yeah, I would probably give it to uh, Tua to set the bar on how, how much how, how much of a magic magical season he was going to have uh, starting the season off like that, and getting up from that play when he actually went down on that play as well. So I'm definitely going to say that play. All right, if you can only pick one player, who on this team is most likely to be playing in multiple Pro Bowls within the next decade? Oh, well, you know I'm big on being team Tua, but uh, Tua can only be as good as the receivers you put around him to to an extent. He can make okay players great and so on. But because of that aspect, it's just not all on him. I'm going to have to go with the 300-pound bar of soap, baby, the bandicoot. I think... When he gets to that league, it's going to be less double teams, less attention that you can just put on that one player because I'm sure he's going to have teammates that's just as good as him. And uh, I think he's going to get loose. I think he's going to he's, – he's a hidden gem. He's not even a hidden gem. No more you can't look past him, especially with all the awards he brought, him, brought home. So, yeah, I go with the bandit right there all day. All right, so this is going to be a tough one. Who on this team this year has the best moves, and is there anybody at all on Jerry Judy's level in terms of cuts? Oh, mama, that goes my ankles. Let me see. Uh, I say this. Waddle and Josh Jacobs got nice electrifying moves. They got the quickness down pat. They they real quick. But far as the straight cuts, if we're talking cuts, Kevin Ridley had a nice cut. But when we're talking the Peter Ward dead leg, no one's messing with Jerry Judy. Jerry can hit you with the dead, come back going the other way and hit you again. It's kind of crazy. It's the closest thing I've seen to the almighty Peter Ward dead leg, but no, no one actually, I don't think, messing with uh, Jerry on just the straight-up cut mode, what we call the dead leg. All right, moving on to the Oklahoma game. The Oklahoma offensive line just won the Joe Moore Award as the best offensive line in the nation. They beat out Alabama. Oh. <laughs> they beat out oh. Alabama. Is that well-deserved, or is that a sham? Mm, I'm not going to call that the joke more award. It's beneath me on Alabama fan. But let's just say, we all know that that's – we know – did people forget they lost a game, right? 
And if it wasn't for their defense getting 14 versus Virginia, with Virginia, they would have lost too. There's no team on that schedule, especially with Texas having a down year, that Oklahoma can lose sleep over the night before and say, we got to handle this tomorrow. There's no team on Every team might look at them like that recruit-wise because their conference is basically a 707 sanctioned flag football conference. If other teams might look at Oklahoma like that, but if no team Oklahoma have to sit there and say, man, if I don't blame my A game, these guys are going to keep. So how we're losing the game, we're still talking about them doing, I mean, getting a trophy like that. I just don't understand. So, no, I definitely don't agree with that. I definitely don't, especially with the, with the time. We got so much talent on our line that guys are actually playing out of position just because of the, the, start, the start power they have. So, no, I definitely don't agree with that. Yeah, that's a damn good point. So when you're talking about Big 12 competition, uh, I mean, obviously, do you think Kyler benefited from that? And do you see him giving Alabama a lot of problems in this game next week? Did Kyler benefit from what? Benefited from playing the Big 12 defenses all year. Oh, yeah. Especially stat-wise, it's just the same thing we seen last year with Baker Mayfield, who had one of the most, if not the most efficient college football year ever from a quarterback standpoint. So, yeah, he definitely benefited uh, stat-wise and high-wise from playing in that conference. And uh, I don't think that helps him against us because if we come and play the ball, play the ball we're supposed to play, we should, we should uh, you know, scare him pretty bad or, you know, just knock him off his game enough to rattle him because I don't think he's been – well, he's actually been rattled a few times by teams that's not up to our level that probably can stick with us through two quarters. So I feel we have a good chance to do that. I'm not saying he's not a good quarterback. He's been making plays since high school as far as just a playmaker. But as far as playing those, no, I really don't give him too much of, too much of a chance. All right, last one, we'll let you go. Your overall expectation for the Orange Bowl, and do you have a prediction? Coming with the, the situation that happened with the Heisman, how we all feel that Tua should have got that Heisman, and the only thing that really stopped Tua was a twisted ankle on the fourth play of the game that ESPN and everybody else failed to realize to mention. Everybody thinks Tua just went down in, in the second half when somebody stepped on his foot. So uh, when Jonah stepped on his foot, you know, and thinking outside of that, Georgia just shut him down, which was complete bull. So with him losing the uh, the Heisman on that account and not the the realisticness of of, of Kyler dominating his conference against great defense and great team, the fact that we feel we should have that trophy, even though this was a team thing, but it still sits on my mind. Let's just be honest; it it, it, it was built up for this. So with that with that narrative being already laid, I feel we could go in there, play the defense play the defensive ball that Nick Saban knows how to do, especially prepare for a team. And I think we can go in there and actually handle up and two of them might have to sit the fourth again because I think the game could all be already be out of whack by the fourth quarter. I think we I think this is the redemption for Tua, just like Jalen got his redemption in the in the championship game. This will be for Tua to go back how he started the season. You play your first three and go take a rest, my brother, and get ready for the next game. I love it. All right, visit UACoaches.com. Follow him on Twitter at the UACoaches. He's Coach P, a.k.a. John Doe. Coach, we greatly appreciate it, man. Yeah, thanks, buddy. Hey, thank you so much for letting me be on here, man. And anytime I can get on again, I would love to be on again. Roll Tide to everybody out there listening. Roll Tide. All right, it was roll a lot tide. of fun. Roll Tide, man. All right, thanks to Coach P. Brad, that was a lot of fun, man. 
yeah, I'm glad he was able to join us. I love his videos, and he was just as great on the interview with us as he was on the videos. So you guys make sure to follow him because I tell you, it, the only enjoyment is not just watching Alabama kick ass. It's also uh, Tuesday, Wednesday, the following week, getting to see uh, his mama, there goes those ankles. Yeah, I definitely recommend subscribing to that YouTube channel. But moving on, Brad, Wednesday was early National Signing Day. Boy, oh boy. <laughs> always a lot of fun. Before we jump into Alabama's class, I want to hit on some things I noticed both nationally and in conference. Uh, I kind of want to start out with the negative nationally because you you know me, I I like to be negative. Uh, Uh Now it is important to note, Wednesday was only the start of the early signing period. So February 6th is signing day, the signing day that will completely wrap up everyone's class. So all of this is subject to change. But as it sits right now, about a month and a half left in the recruiting cycle, and we can do this as a the good, the bad, and the ugly segment. The the ugly nationally. (laughs) We were excited about the disaster that would be less miles in Kansas. Yes. Uh, sign and day delivered. <laughs> less signed nine prospects on early sign and day oh. with one commitment still unsigned. That's good enough for what, – what do you, where do you think that ranks in the nation? Oh, uh, about where their FBI would rank. Uh, <laughs> somewhere around 112th. 115th. Good guess. Uh, yeah, I, I, and let me guess, it was most of it JUCO heavy since Les just got the job? A ton. Uh, of the ten, I would bet maybe six of those are JUCOs. Yeah. His class is wedged in between Wyoming and Louisiana Monroe. Uh, uh, that's actually fitting for Kansas. I made a, a little list of a few non-Power 5 schools ranked ahead of Kansas in recruiting. Mm. Georgia Southern, Georgia State, Rice, and South Alabama. To put this in perspective, North Texas has one of the higher non-Power 5 recruiting classes. Uh, The North Texas class is ranked over 50 spots ahead of Kansas. Wow. Yeah. Only Louisville has a worse Power 5 recruiting class than Kansas. That's literally only because Louisville signed five guys. Those five have a much higher star rating than the Kansas class. So once Louisville fills those spots, Kansas is not going to be anywhere even close to the next lowest Power 5 class. Yeah, that's, uh, man, that's incredible. I mean, I, look, I, I guess I understand it because it's Kansas, new coaching change, but I mean, we're, I'd love to know where Mac Brown and North Carolina finished. I know they did get a big quarterback commit that signed early, but, you know, he took, took the job later. North Carolina's been going through turmoil, but they aren't Kansas either, so. Yeah, they've had a much smoother transition, no doubt. Is there any, any possible way that Les Miles has any kind of success in the Big 12? Well, like we said uh, a couple of weeks ago, I mean, success on a Kansas level, if he can win two to three games a year, I think that is success. Um, But however, his running back that he thought he was going to inherit, I saw the police report came out today. Yeah, he's not going to be a part of that program next year. So he's got a dumpster fire on his hands. I mean, he might as well just taken the Auburn job at this rate. But man. Yeah, he is not going to be replacing a player of that caliber with with anything that is in his current recruiting class. No. The next team in the ugly segment is Miami. Uh, <laughs> once a recruiting powerhouse, obviously, not even that long ago, people were debating whether Miami or Alabama's 2008 class was the best in the country. Do you remember that? Yeah, it's crazy. They currently sit at 33rd in the nation, behind Kentucky, Arizona State, NC State, Purdue. The fact that Arizona State's uh, that high with Herm Edwards' first year, that's awesome. Um, and, of course, in true fashion, Mark Rick lost control on National Signing Day, too, because he had his nephew that wouldn't even commit to play for him at Miami. Um, I mean, Mark Rick's going to end up messing around and getting fired from his own alma mater where they thought he was the savior of the program. How bad is it when your own family member does not want to play for you? 
Oh, he had a lot of years to learn about old losing control <laughs> uncle. So, yeah, that's insane. And, you know, you look at the luster that the Florida State-Miami rivalry used to have, and you look at what condition both those programs are and where they're at recruiting and everything. It's just – college football is insane when it comes to parity, I'll tell you that. They're in possibly the biggest recruiting hotbed area in the nation, too. And they have one player committed in the top 150. And this is where they're at. I read earlier today. They have recently contacted a guard from Prattville who had been a longtime commitment to Troy. You should be able to recruit within a two-hour radius of the University of Miami and land a top 25 class every year without even trying. We've talked about St. Thomas Aquinas, right? The high school yeah. uh, produces more talent than any other high school in the country. They're about an hour from the University of Miami. Now, I, I did a little dig in here. You know how I like to dig when it comes to, mm-hmm. to STA. All right. They have 10 seniors committed to Power 5 schools, two of those to Miami. They have a five-star wide receiver in the 2020 class, two additional top 200 players in the 2020 class, and two more four-stars in the top 300 in the junior class. So the St. Thomas Aquinas High School football roster is ranked higher than the University (laughs) of Miami's recruiting class, and by a wide margin. That's not a joke. Oh, my God. I mean, yeah, if you took their junior and senior classes and put them into one recruiting class, they would be ranked significantly higher than the university that's an hour away from them. That is insane. I mean, look, I get it. You know, they also lost Manny Diaz, their defensive coordinator, took the head coaching job at uh, Temple, I believe. They had, what, five or six decommitments over the last month? It's been bad, yeah. We joke about it for the last decade, but I think this may be the most he has ever lost control, period. It could be. I mean, none of the kids. It's just not attractive. It's not attractive to go to Miami. No fans show up to the game. <laughs> I, I don't know if you've ever watched a Miami game, a home Miami game, and, and looked at the crowd. Mm-hmm. There's maybe 30,000 people. There might be more people show up to Vanderbilt games. Jeez. A blue blood like that should never have a problem recruiting. I don't care. And they do play off campus, so that do, that hurts them some. Well, and that's another thing, too. I mean, I get Miami's a private institution, but the fact that Miami, even with the success of the 80s, 90s, and early 2000s, still never built an on-campus stadium yeah. is mind-blowing to me. Yeah, and I don't know if you have been to the stadium in Miami. I've been a few times. It's mm-hmm. It's near nothing. It's probably a 45-minute drive from South Beach. So it's it's literally by itself in basically a neighborhood. Yeah, and you, I, you have to make a point to go to the stadium. There's no bars and restaurants around it. <laughs> there, there's, there's no shopping around it. There's no attraction. If you go there, you're specifically going there for a game. And that hurts attendance. Yeah. The bad, this is bad relative to who they are. Ohio State. I would not call this ugly. In comparison to where they've been in recruiting rankings over the past few years, this class is a disappointment for them. It may just be an anomaly or a product of circumstance with Urban Meyer leaving, but they're currently at 12th. They only have three prospects in the top 100, six total in the top 200, and eight total in the top 300. Do you remember their class last year by any chance? Yeah, it was pretty damn awesome. They had 11 commitments in the top 100 a year ago. Mm-hmm. So they went from 11 in the top 100 literally one year ago to eight in the top 300 this year. Yeah, and you know, anytime you have negative press throughout the year and also a coaching transition, albeit a smooth one and a, a pretty good one, you're going to still suffer. But the fact of them losing that quarterback commit they had, the number two overall dual threat, you know, on signing day to a school he never even visited, I mean, that, that alone is like Mark Rick came and did a visit there. It's crazy. And if you see that quarterback in Athens driving a new Ford Raptor, just mind your own. So Hey, and the, and the bad part about that is his name's Dwayne Mathis. 
the quarterback that flipped. He's, it's not like he's a local kid from Georgia that just always wanted to go to Georgia and just finally got his offer late in the signing period. Dwayne Mathis is from Michigan, <laughs> and he flipped to Georgia without ever even visiting campus. Mm. And, and on top of that, Jordan battled the safety from St. Thomas Aquinas, who we've talked about on this mm-hmm. show before, who would have been their fourth highest-ranked player in the class, flipped to Alabama. Yeah, that was awesome uh, that he came through on Sunday like expected. Yeah, Ryan Day has a ways to go before he can match what Urban Meyer did on the recruiting trail. Mm -hmm. Uh, Moving on to the good nationally. I think most Alabama fans will like this, minus one of their commitments. Oregon, the Oregon Ducks. Oregon and Mario Cristobal, who we all knew, ace recruiter at Alabama. Yep. Uh, Mario has Oregon sitting with the sixth-ranked class in the country right now. As we know, Alabama's top pass-rushing target, Kayvon Thibodeau, committed to Oregon on ESPN last Saturday. But get this, I never thought that I would see this day. Oregon's top three commitments are all top 50 prospects in the country, and they're all defensive players. Man, that's a... Yeah, Mario's bringing the SEC flavor to, (laughs) to the West. Well, I mean, that's going to work, too, because if you look at the immediate success that uh, Chris Peterson had his first couple years at Washington, he focused on defense more, too. So Yeah, and they were churning out players to the NFL, defensively. Yeah, no, I, I'm extremely happy for Coach Cristobal, you know, not only to get that opportunity, but to show them why he was worthy of a job like Oregon, because with the, the resources and the money Oregon has, it could easily be a top five, top six program in the country if it is in the right hands. And right now, he's working on building something special, I believe, did suck to lose Kayvon to him, but I don't think uh, a lot of us were 100% he was going to come to Bama either. But it's crazy. He might be taking over the Pac-12 in terms of recruiting and also the future of football. Oh, he, he has by far the best class in the Pac-12. Next closest to him is Washington, who's 10 spots behind Oregon currently. The, the only program in that conference that I think could compete with the combination of Mario Cristobal at Oregon on the recruiting trail is USC. Just naturally, right? Well, you would think so, but, uh, I mean, they didn't have a great class this year. They haven't, and they're not going to until Clay Helton's gone. USC has zero top 100 commitments. I mean, sort of like Miami being a blue bud shouldn't have problems recruiting. USC itself, just coming in with a (laughs) USC apparel on, should recruit itself for you. I mean, you got to try to be that bad at USC. And I get, you know, it is a sexy hire, no pun intended, of bringing in Cliff Kingsbury as the offensive coordinator. I think that's a home run, had it not been Clay Helton as the head coach being retained. I'm not sure what Cliff Kingsbury's reputation is as a recruiter either. Uh, You know, I I don't know off the top of my head how he did at Texas Tech recruiting, but I do know his evolution of an offense to his players – it's been top-notch. Yeah, but the top kids very clearly do not want to play for Clay Helton, and Crystal Ball's taking full advantage. I'm not sure how it's even possible to be at USC and not have a single kid in the top 100 in your recruiting class. Yeah, I think recruiting against USC is a lot like Auburn right now. There's so much unsurety for next year when it comes to the coaching staff that you know you don't want to chance it when you got somewhere else you like too. But it, the fact is, it's USC. It's the top one of the top three or four names in college football history. Everyone knows it anywhere in the country, and you cannot recruit well there. That is just, it's insane. It should never happen that way, and it's only setting them back from being where they could be. Now, moving on to in-conference, the SEC. We can't really do a good, bad, and ugly because there's there's not much ugly. The only bad that I have, and you, and you may have something else, Brad, I'm not sure, is Ole Miss. I can say this with confidence. Matt Luke is finished. <laughs> he, he's, he's done. The Ole Miss class is at 23rd. 
in the nation right now, which that doesn't sound that bad, right? Mm-hmm. But there is nowhere to go but down for them. It, this is a total numbers game. They are only ranked as high as 23 because of the, the quantity of commitments, not quality. Mm-hmm. Ole Miss has 28 players signed or committed, which is significantly more than anyone around them in the rankings. They have virtually no room to sign anyone else. And the teams behind them all still have several slots left. They are going to get passed. They have one player in the top 250. I bet you can guess what position he's at. Uh, I would say wide receiver. There you go. (laughs) And defensively, which has clearly been their biggest issue, they have one player in the top 600 players in the country. God. Yeah. This is a bad class for Ole Miss, especially in a year where even their offensive talent's off to the NFL. Yeah, they are. Damn, that's crazy. Yeah, Um, everybody's gone. I mean, we knew they'd have a lot of room, you know, given what's happened the last couple of years. Yeah. But, man, that is uh, that's like making a mud pie right there. That's insane. <laughs> if you look at uh, the in-state talent in Mississippi, which is typically where Ole Miss does most of their damage, they signed two top ten players in state. One of those is Jerry on Ely. He's a top five baseball prospect in the country. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> so you know what that means. He'll be a first-round draft pick. Mm-hmm. He's probably going to go top ten, top 15 in the MLB draft. And he's probably not going to play college football at all after he gets a $5 million signing bonus. Yeah, they normally only throw about a quarter million out to players, so uh, Ole Miss won't be able to compete for that. And even worse, rival Mississippi State signed three of those prospects who are all in the top 105 players in the nation. Uh, a lot of their analysts thought they were getting the top player in the state on signing day, N'Kobe Dean, a five-star inside linebacker. He ends up choosing Georgia. Even Alabama did a little damage to him. Top 100 cornerback Brandon Turnage from Oxford signed with Alabama on Wednesday. He spent a massive amount of time around the Ole Miss program. They swung and missed on both of those guys. I, I don't know if you've been watching Ole Miss lately, Brad. They could definitely use a five-star linebacker in a top 100 corner right now. Yeah, we won't get to watch them anymore this year, unfortunately. But, uh, man, that's, <laughs> that's just insane. Uh, it's hard to what bowl, what bowl are they playing in? Uh, the uh, self-imposed bowl. What was the, the made-up bowl that uh, Ryan Anderson? Oh, said? man, the, uh, what, uh, the, the Birmingham the, Biscuit Bowl? Yeah, the Birmingham Biscuit Bowl. Uh, we're, that's where we're sending Ole Miss. The good for the SEC, really there's a lot of good. Outside of what I see (laughs) coming for Ole Miss, there are not a whole lot of negatives across the conference. Uh, Your top four classes in the nation, Alabama, Georgia, Texas A&M, LSU. That's pretty typical. Yeah. The SEC has nine teams ranked in the top 20. The next closest conference is the Pac-12 and the Big Ten with three teams each in the top 20. The SEC has more teams ranked in the top four classes in the country than any other conference has in the top 20. Yeah, and that'll be pretty similar, too, to the uh, preseason top 25 next year as well. It'll be about eight or nine teams from the SEC in that, too, I imagine. Isn't it it weird that every year – this may be not exactly typical with that many teams in the top 20. I would have to go back and look. But isn't it weird how other fans of teams maybe in the Big 12 or Big 10 uh, love to scream that, hey, Alabama doesn't play anybody? Mm Mm-hmm. The SEC is the only team dealing with nine teams in the top 20 of the recruiting rankings right now. Yeah, well, that's why you hear this whole, oh, recruits don't win games, good teams win games. Well, <laughs> you have to have good players to have good teams, I would think. It drives me crazy. Like, say say our fans would use maybe Josh Jacobs. Well, Josh Jacobs is a three-star. It doesn't matter if you get the five stars. You can just get a bo- whole bunch of guys like Josh Jacobs, right? 
No. <laughs> no, no, you can't. There, there are literally like several thousand three stars every year. A few of them are going to be really good. Yeah, if it was so easy to develop talent up past its potential, uh, I think it'd be happening a lot more often than what it does. There's a reason that Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State, Oklahoma, the same teams every single year are competing for a national championship and the same teams every single year are at the top of the recruiting rankings. It's not a coincidence. Yeah, I don't know. But unfortunately, uh, when you want to try to believe something one way, you're going to look at it from that observation point. So oh, let's move on to the Alabama class. I, I want to be truthful in this. And the truth is not something you see often around national signing day. Like when you love someone like Matt Luke to just be honest during like yeah. his national signing day press conference. <laughs> I, I just want to see it once. I want him to take the mic and be like, yeah, we whiffed on the Kobe Dean. We had a five-star linebacker in our state. We recruited him for over a year. We had a top 100 cornerback literally in our backyard. He basically lives on campus. We couldn't sign him either. Well, hey, look, I mean, Dan Mullen was pretty truthful when uh, they asked him, you know, do you feel like this class may be disappointing? And he said, come back in three or four years and ask me if this class was disappointing. <laughs> so, I mean, look, hey, old clown shoes, he, uh, he he had a point there, and he signed up the, that kid whose dad looked like he was playing on the Madden cover. <laughs> oh, so, uh he did sign that kid. Yeah, if you have not seen that, apparently this is a trend now, is that dads of recruits, when they come on a visit, are dressing in full uniform <laughs> to take pictures. Like, yeah, I've even seen some moms doing it too, man. It's, uh, oh, it is I have not seen fire. that. I have not seen the yeah. moms. Okay. Yeah, uh, Penn State, Nor- uh, Middle Tennessee, Missouri, they've all done it recently. So apparently this is the new thing in the future. Would you do that? If you're on, if you're on campus with your kid... <laughs> Do you dress in full Florida gear, like the uniform? Do you put on pads and the jersey? I probably would, but I tell you, if you look at that dad in that Florida gear of that recruit, (laughs) um, I swear to God, he reminds me of that guy that still wears his Letterman jacket to barbecue saying, damn, man, I had a chance to play football in college too, but man, my knee blew out. (laughs) So, yeah, that's why he was loving it. But anyways, it worked, so it's going to continue to happen. So if a prospect commits to any school other than yours around this time of year, uh, you either didn't want to sign him. No, he was overrated. Yeah, he was overrated. He has off-the-field issues. He has grade issues. That's a popular one. Yeah. Uh, it's like clockwork every single year. Clearly, everyone is thrilled with Alabama's class, but I did want to make an effort to be truthful about every angle of it. The, po- okay. the positive, which there are endless positives in it, and the very, very few negatives. So if you have to point out a negative, and trust me, it's hard to do with this class. Uh, it'd be that they missed on some of the higher-ranked five-stars they led for at one point. It's missing a couple of those, like, sure-shot top 15 or so prospects in the country. Like we mentioned, Kayvon Thibodeau, top 10 prospect they led for until his official visit to Oregon. Nick Saban, he even flew out to California for an in-home visit with Thibodeau a couple weeks before signing day. There was some Alabama chatter after the in-home. He ends up choosing Oregon. Nicobe Dean, who we mentioned. Uh, he's been their top inside linebacker prospect for a long time. Georgia kind of swept in late, gained a lot of momentum. He ended up signing there. Kirby is here to stay on the recruiting trail. Would you agree? Oh, yeah. I mean, look, I think he's second to only Saban right now. He is competing on the recruiting trail at Saban's level. Oh, yeah. I mean, because when you look at, you know, as far as rivals, you look at the last three classes since Kirby's first year. Alabama and Georgia both signed 13 five-stars each. The SEC as a whole in the last three years only has one five-star. Both Alabama and Georgia have 40 or more four-stars in the last three years. Everyone else in the conference has 31, 39, give or take. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's literally been Alabama, Georgia, and then a gap. And nationally, it's really Clemson and Ohio State and then a gap. And right now, 
that gap is going to continue until this dynasty here in Tuscaloosa ends. It's going to continue to be just these two pulling away from everyone else. Yeah, there's a little bit of a gap between Alabama and Georgia right now for first and second for this particular class. The gap between two and three, between Georgia and Texas A&M, is huge. But hey, props to Jimbo, though. Hell of a damn first class. I don't think we, uh, we're going to worry about him recruiting-wise, but he, he did great. He had a, a really good class when it came to the secondary, uh, and then he also called Kirby out on his uh, press conference, <laughs> too, as well, which was nice. <laughs> he did. I was kind of surprised to hear that. Yeah. Dax Hill, the top DB prospect in the nation, he flips his commitment from Michigan to Alabama, only to flip it back on signing day. Oh, my God, did the media bros love that. Uh, oh, Jim Harbaugh got another win <laughs> against Nick Saban. Clay Webb, top player in Alabama, top center in the country. He had family ties to Georgia. He ends up there as well. Those are all guys Alabama looked really good for at some point during their recruitments. They're all guys Alabama wanted, and they ended up missing on. So the, those all guys that are in the top 20 or so prospects in the nation, you know, they swung and missed. Does most of that matter? No. Probably not. Clay Webb, Dax Hill, elite players, or so it seems. Alabama may have the best DB and offensive line class in the country, even without those guys. Yeah, no, I'll agree with that. I mean, we needed uh, offensive line in this class, and I think we hit a home run with three of the four being five stars, including just a massive solar eclipse and, you know, Evan Neal. <laughs> yeah, he's lost like 40 pounds, by the way. Well, after his first fourth, uh, fourth quarter next year, too, man, you start <laughs> slimming him down at six foot eight, my God. He's going to be the mountain. Yeah, just sign him up. There's been like three people play the mountain, right? Yeah. So well. <laughs> Evan Neal is on deck. He's yep. going to be number four. I mean, at some point it becomes about who you sign opposed to who you didn't, and no other program holds a candle to what Alabama signed at those two positions. Uh, the Nicobe Dean and Kayvon Thibodeau misses could prove to be larger if Alabama doesn't close on those positions in February. As far as pass rusher goes, they'll focus on Chris Bogle. Bogle's around a top 60 prospect in the nation from Fort Lauderdale. His recruitment probably comes down to Miami and Alabama. We know how recruiting is going for Miami at the moment. Mm-hmm. Uh, inside linebacker, they'll go all in on Henry Toto Toto. God may, bless you. Yeah, uh, that may be wrong. Uh, from California. He's a top 50 player in the country. Those two and Ismail Sopcher? Yes. Okay. The five-star defensive tackle from Louisiana. Those will be Alabama's three biggest targets from come February. That's really all LSU has left to look forward to is him. I, <laughs> I'm going to enjoy the hell out of Saban pulling another kid out of Baton Rouge at the end of signing day. Uh, here's where I think Alabama blew everyone out of the water for this cycle. The bottom half of the recruiting class. And Alabama always does well here, evaluation-wise. But this class is a different animal. If you go back, they always get production from some guys in the bottom half of each class. There's the three stars. Robert Lester, Terrence Cody, Chance Warmack was a three-star. Irv Smith was a three-star. Josh Jacobs. But there are no three-star diamonds in the rough in this class because there's no three-stars. Well, yeah, like we said before, hell, the current 85 man, I think about 70 of them were four- and five-star prospects. <laughs> the only three-star in the entire class is Will Reichert, the number one kicker in the country. He's a three-star, but he's a five-star when it comes to contracting foot aids, I'm sure. So <laughs> we shall see. As it sits right now, Kevin Harris, the 113th-ranked player in the nation, is in the bottom half of <laughs> Alabama's class. It, it's entirely plausible that by February, that that signing date, Alabama will have top 100 players signed who will not be in the top half of the players in the class. (laughs) I mean, that's just, again, I mean, 
Saban's been out for blood. He learns from his mistakes better than anyone else. But my God, I mean, he learned last year after getting his ass kicked in December on the recruiting trail. He made up for it, you know, having to play in Atlanta, losing a week, practicing, you know, on Tuesday before your early signing day. But you look at it, what this class may end up being, and it's going to knock off Georgia's one-year reign as the greatest class ever as far as total points. May not be as many five stars, but the total points overall, this may be the best recruiting class put together ever. All right, quickly, before we go, most underrated prospect in the class. Man, I, I really think this DJ Dale kid out of Alabama is going to be pretty good. Yeah. Um, I, I think, you know, he did get bumped up to his four-star uh, on rivals. But I think as far as the defensive tackle, right now he's got to drop down some weight. He's 6'3", 223. Uh, came out of Clay Chalkwell and Pinson. But I think he's got a, a, a chance to kind of be like a former teammate of his was, Deron Payne, you know, coming out of there. So to me, that would be him. I'm going, this is going to sound odd, Antonio Alfano, who is a oh, five-star God. defensive lineman. He is well. <laughs> he's, the, he's the 28th ranked player in the country. I still think he's the most underrated prospect in the class. Okay, uh, I'll give you that, but I didn't name him because, hell, I think uh, his accolades stand out alone of what he's going to be able to do. It's yeah. going to be like another uh, Iabi Anoma type kid. Look, his Nike spark rating would have been good for fourth nationally. He runs a 4.840 and has a 37-inch vertical. He's 280 pounds. He, he was testing similar to a lot of highly ranked skill position players, and he weighs nearly 100 pounds more than some of them. So my, oh. my most underrated prospect in the class is a top 30 prospect in the entire nation. Well, very valid, though. Honestly, I think that there could be a case for Antonio Alfano to be the number one player in the country. I mean, those numbers alone, I'd like to hear somebody that's got better uh, numbers. <laughs> so. uh, the stats, in which I do not have in front of me right now, are equally as impressive. The play on the field matches the numbers. I guess time will tell. I don't expect him to be in Tuscaloosa for four years. No, yeah. he. Uh, hopefully he can do what Yabi's having problems with, but still trying to do is, uh, you know, stick, get his head right, become part of the process, do what's needed of you, and your time will come. All right, this has been the Roll Bama Roll Podcast. Roll Tide.